Mac Power Users, Episode 172, Workflows with Brooks Duncan. back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hi, Katie Floyd. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's, it's a little cool, but, you know, um, I assumed that it would you be... You live cool. in Florida. You're I not allowed to say that. I've got my socks on with my Birkenstocks, of course, and I've got a big puffy sweatshirt on, and it is all of 40-something degrees outside, and I assumed that it would be a lot colder where our guest is, but he informs me that it is not. But our guest for today is Mr. Brooks Duncan uh, of documentsnap.com fame. Welcome, Brooks. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, David. Great to be here. I think I first met you at Smiles Party at Macworld mm, a couple of years ago, maybe 2009 or so. Something, uh, somewhere in there. Yeah, it probably would have been 2011, I think. But I think that was my first time there. Uh, but yeah, it was at the Smile Party for sure. Yeah, and I had been, I've been reading your blog and your website for a while, and then you mentioned that you were a Mac Power Users fan, and um, it just yeah. kind of made sense that, that we did a, a workflow for a while, because as I mentioned in the New Year's Resolution show, I am trying, uh, as part of one of my resolutions for this year, to take a little harder look at some of my paperless workflows, and I know you were definitely the guru when it comes to that, um, but you also do a lot of other cool stuff in that um, you run an online consulting business and all the kind of fun, geeky things that go along with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so documentsnap.com is my full-time gig. So I have a blog, newsletter, products, and do consulting. And uh, yeah, it's entirely online. And then you also play with Legos. And David says <laughs> we have to talk about that later. <laughs> That's right. I do play with Legos. Or, yeah, uh, the, the paperless stuff's great, but I definitely want to talk about the Lego. <laughs> and, and Katie, just so we're clear, it's Lego, not Legos. Okay, yes. you, you play with Lego. Got it. I got in a lot of trouble over that. All right. <laughs> we we do get corrected on our grammar from time to time. Some people are nice about it. Some people aren't. Yeah. Um, Brooks is a. In addition to being a Mac nerd, Brooks is just a super nice guy. Who and are you going to be at MacWorld this year, Brooks? I probably am going to be there. I, it's not. Yeah. I haven't booked anything, but uh, I go every year, so I'm sure this year will be the same. Yeah, you have to be. There. So I always thought I understood Brooks because we used to hang out at MacWorld, and you know, I felt like we were kind of pals. And then I met him at the uh, World Domination Summit this year, and I saw a whole new side of Brooks. I mean, he's just a party animal. I just could not could not get over it. Did he come in spandex? I, I don't know what he was wearing, but you know, uh, he ex- explicitly told me not to take any pictures. Oh well, so. you just said he was a whole other side to him. Every time I've seen him, he's been kind of in the khaki and button up shirt and a very kind of normal guy. But, no, no the, the costume change happened after David left. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brooks, tell me a little bit about uh, what is Document Snap and what do you do with that and how did it come to be? How did you decide this is what you were going to do? Because you did a lot of stuff before that. You did a lot of big stuff before that. Not that this isn't big, but how did you decide this is what you wanted to do at this point in your life? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny. Uh, so I have a somewhat wacky background in that I am a certified management accountant, which is a accounting designation we have up here in Canada. Uh, so I got my CMA designation, and during the dot com years, the first ones, the you know ninety nine two thousand, um, I really wanted to pursue my first love, which was computers. I 
was kind of looking ahead at my accounting career. And this was when, you know, all the dot-com millionaires were being made. So uh, I moved to Vancouver and became a Java programmer. And uh, I did that for, for a while. And through a long series of events, I actually re- ended up running technical support area for a financial software company. And while I was doing that, I, I decided I wanted to go paperless. And way back then, there wasn't, uh, you know, maybe if David had his guide back then, uh, none of this would have happened. But uh, there was there was bits and pieces of information kind of all over the place. Joe Kissel had a Macworld article. Uh, Terry White had a few things. And so I kept hearing about this ScanSnap scanner. And I was always looking for these geeky tips. So I bought a ScanSnap, which was actually pretty hard to buy in Canada at the time. You had to mail order it from Toronto. Now, this, and, was, this was back in the days when document scanning was kind of a new thing. I mean, companies were doing it, but really for on the individual basis, I mean, we were still, people, people were still using, if they had them, flatbed scanners or sometimes maybe a multifunction that came with some of their stuff. But nobody was really scanning their personal documents at this point. Absolutely. Um, you know, I did have, like everyone else, a, a multifunction, uh, all-in-one sort of thing. But And I started using that, and it was just a disaster, you know, having to flip every page, and the software was terrible. And so I kept reading this stuff about these ScanSnaps, so I ordered a ScanSnap S300M, so that shows you how long ago it was. Uh, and I started collecting a the tips that I was kind of learning and and writing about on a, just a it was just a hobby blog at the time and I uh, just called it Document Snap just for lack of anything better to call it uh, and so yeah it just started as a hobby as my wife and I were we were downsizing our our house we were moving from a three thousand square foot character home because we found out we're not the type of people who should really be owning a hundred year old house. Uh, so we are, we are downsizing from that into a 1600 square foot townhouse, which we've loved since we moved in here. But of course I was moving all this paper and thinking there's gotta be something better. So I started the blog just as a, as a hobby collecting that stuff and it kind of grew and grew and, and, you know, I was getting good feedback and then I decided to leave my job uh, and I'm a little different than most people. I didn't leave it to do document snap. Uh, I just left it for other reasons and then was kind of trying to decide what I would do. And it was almost like, uh, you know, I'm not really into this universe stuff, but it was almost like the universe wanted to tell me something because pretty much right after I left my job, I started getting emails from people saying, hey, you know, I'm looking to go paperless could you help me out with that? And I didn't do any of that sort of stuff at the time, but of course I answered, of course I can. Uh, so yeah, it just kind of grew from there. So you've basically, you've, you've turned document snap and it's still, you still do have the blog component, but you've also kind of turned it into this custom consulting service to help people create and people and businesses too, I would assume custom paperless workflows, right? That's right. Yeah. There's different, there's kind of different levels. So, uh, I've kind of collected a lot of the big questions that I get into products that people can purchase if they want to do this stuff themselves. You know, there's guides that they can purchase. And from time to time, I run online course, online classes on how to do it. But also, yeah, um, individuals and small businesses will ask me to come in and uh, and help set it up for them because 
what I found is a lot of times, you know, people like us and probably a lot of your listeners, we want to know how to do this stuff. We want to implement it and find the best way to do it. Um, but a lot of people, uh, especially small business owners uh, and that sort of thing, they just don't want to deal with it. They just want their problem solved and they'd rather just get somebody to help them with it rather than figuring it out for themselves. Yeah, I know my office is in the midst of a, a big mass conversion and they really didn't have a plan and that was kind of that's kind of hurting them now. But if someone would have come in and just explained to them, okay, this is how you're going to scan your files. This is going to how, how you're going to rename your files. This is how you're going to organize your files. And they probably wouldn't have even really questioned it. They just would have said, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and And you bring up a good point in that, Having a plan for what it is you're actually trying to do uh, is really important because there's so many different tools out there. There's so much hardware. There's so much software. There's so much workflow. Um, you know, people like me blogging about this stuff doesn't help because uh, I'm always talking about all these cool new things. But so it's very easy to, to get distracted. So if you start with a goal in mind of what you're actually trying to do, it'll really help you as you're going through the process. Yeah, you know, I don't want to turn this into a whole paperless show, but you know, on that point, there have been a lot of really good developments in the last, I guess I'd say, year and a half. Um, and I'm getting ready to release version 1.4 of the paperless book and, and adding a bunch of content. And I was thinking, Brooks, what do you think are the big, what's the big deal developments we've had on the paperless front lately? Well, one thing that I have seen lately is it seems like all of a sudden there are all these devices coming out that. Are, don't just scan documents uh, the way that we're used to having a document scanner, but we'll actually scan physical books and physical objects as well. Uh, you know, there's that ScanSnap SV600 that came out a while ago. Um, there's one called the Doxy Flip. Uh, and there's so that's a trend I'm noticing. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but it seems like a lot of people don't want to just scan their paper, but scan their books and other memory objects as well. So that's one. Yeah, and I, I think that's exactly where it's coming from, because people are starting to, to pick up on paperless, and then they say, okay, well, now I want to take some of my books and and start making them paperless, which is a lot easier than you'd think it was. Um, um, we've had, you know, I did it for a friend. She had a book of poetry that she said, look, I don't care about keeping the book. I just want to have a digital copy of it that lasts forever. And I said, you really don't care? And she says, no. So I took a razor blade and I cut the pages out and I stuck it in my scan snap. And, and the whole process took probably about 15 minutes. And I had an OCR book, you know, done. I couldn't believe how fast it was. Yeah, it's, it's in fact, uh, apparently in Japan, it's a big thing. Um, it's just a very common thing. You buy a book, you chop the, the spine off and you scan it. It's just what? A lot of people do there, I, I've been told. Um, and, and so that was always the way to do it. Now there's different options out there for if you don't want to chop it, but you don't have to sit there and turn the pages on a, on a flatbed or something like that. There's some pretty fast scanners that will help with that now. Yeah. And, and like that new ScanSnap with the big platform, you, you can stick multiple. You can put like a receipt, a book piece of paper you can scan like seven you know however many things at once laying down on this flat surface and the the software is smart enough to break them into distinct documents so that that is a, a nice development one of the ones i was thinking about is just 
um, because paperless is now becoming something that that I would say muggles are thinking about. You know, it's not just the super nerds. Um, there's a whole growth of services and online companies that are showing up saying, Hey, we want to handle this problem for you. And uh, there's no clear winner to me at this point. I think they're all kind of in there vying for it. Um, I, I like do that D O O. I think they're pretty good. Uh, I think Evernote is, is really been made a lot of strides in that area. And, and also just kind of the old, you know, block and tackling, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, nested folders with Dropbox, those, even those services are getting easier for people. And I think that's a really interesting development, and I think it's only going to accelerate it for the next year or two. Well, and on top of that, there's this whole subset of services, and, and David, I know you you tried one. I don't know if you still use it, but that will say, hey, give us your, your login credentials for, you know, your water company, your gas company, your credit card statements, your bank statements, if you want. And instead of, you know, I talk about my, my workflow where I, I go and I download my statements from all of these places to my downloads folder and then Hazel picks them up, it renames them, it categorizes, it files them, it sticks them in Evernote. And I think that's pretty good. All I have to do is go to the, log, the website, log in and hit the download button. But there's this whole nother sub set of uh, companies that say, hey, just give us your login credentials and every month we'll download your statements for you. Yeah. What, what could go wrong? Well, yeah, so exactly. so many so many things, which is why I haven't done it. But yeah. the people are using them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, I was at a convention for professional organizers last year, and uh, uh, one of the services. Wait, wait a second. I just I just need to think about this for a second. It's a convention full of professional organizers. Now, now, what did they give you when you left each booth? Did they give you like paper and shirts and stuff, or? Bento boxes. Yeah, what, what's yeah. the swag? <laughs> there actually wasn't a lot of swag for that exactly that reason. Uh, you know, uh, that that particular industry is always saying, you know, don't collect so much stuff. So it would be pretty, it'd be pretty bad if they were trying to hand you off all this type of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> it was a great conference though. Uh, yeah, but that's a that's an area. Um, one of the companies that you're referring to, uh, file this fetch, for example, that's yeah. one of those companies and, and yeah, they, uh, they're very popular in that type of industry because that's a complaint that, that people have is, you know, you're telling me to go paperless and switch all my, switch all my statements to paperless, but now I can't remember remember to download the information or now I can't remember to pay my bills, uh, which has happened to me, to be honest. Uh, Well, we've solved this problem. You set the Hazel keyword to pay. That's Uh, T-O-U-P-E. Did I get that right, David? (laughs) I've got so much grief over that. (laughs) But it works. It works. It does work. Yeah. And, you know, I'm getting older and the hairline is moving, so it makes sense. Yeah, but it's one of those things. P- some people are comfortable uh, entering their bank credentials in these services. Some people aren't. Um, so there's there's kind of no right way. It's just what people are comfortable with. Yeah, but it, it, it is interesting. So the hardware has made strides. Uh, software services side of it's making strides. What I don't see making strides is the all-in-one paperless software applications. I, I wasn't that impressed with them when I first wrote paperless. I went back and kind of did a new survey of them as I did this most, this is kind of a big update and I still am not that impressed with these things that try and do the be all and do all on your local Mac. Uh, the server side stuff I think makes more sense for that kind of solution. 
Yeah, and and you know what? We're actually spoiled on as Mac users that you almost a lot of those pieces of software you don't even need nowadays. Uh, the the Mac is so good, you know. Um, Preview can do a lot of document management type stuff. Uh, yeah. One of my one of my readers came up with this great workflow that he shared with me. Uh, his name is Alex Satrapa, and and what he does is when he's processing his his electronic documents, the ones that Hazel doesn't catch, of course. Uh, what he does is he has one Finder window open in CoverFlow mode, and then another Finder window open with his you know files and folders, uh, and it. It's great. It's like having one of those document management systems in that you can see your document well enough for you to be able to name and file it. Uh, and when he told me about it, I was like, this is the first time I've ever heard CoverFlow being useful for something. Uh, so, so, you know, that uh, Mac OS X really, really gives you the ability to work with this stuff in a way that you don't even need these all-in-one systems at, at, as much as some people might think. You know, another way to do that in the finder is the column mode. If you you have to preview, that's the way I do it. I'll do it like when I have my action folder, I because cover flow is gone, but um, I'll put it in. Actually, cover flow is still there. I just never use it. But anyway, if you if you use the column mode and you just put, put the finder in full screen, which you can do now in the new version, it does the same thing. It gives you a really nice big image of it so you can see what you're doing. Yeah, that's great. So without giving away too many of your secrets that I know people pay you good money for, how how does one start to develop a paperless workflow? I mean, I'm sure you don't – it's not the same for everybody because, I mean, gosh, David and I can't even agree on whether it's it's dots or dashes. It's dots, by the way, that you use to separate your dates. I mean – yeah. So it's not it's not the same for everyone, and I would assume, you know, he uses files and folders. I use Evernote, um, and, and certainly individuals versus versus businesses are going to have very very needs, very different needs. So, how do you start working somebody down that path who's working with you of, of trying to figure out what's going to be right for them, and how to figure out of all the various tools that we've got available um, on the Mac now, or even for PCs? Because I'm sure you work with some PC based people in businesses, what's right for them? Because we've got so many options. Yeah, it's really hard. And people become people become uh, paralyzed, to be honest, because uh, what people want is to know is what is the right software to use? What is the right folder structure to use? Uh, and, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, there isn't a, re- a right answer for any of that stuff is just what works best for them. Uh, so like I was saying, the first thing you want to do is find out what it is that they're looking to do. Some people just want their stuff on their computer and they don't care about having remote access. Some people don't want their documents on their computer. They want to access it remotely. Uh, and some people want kind of a hybrid of the two. So, so what are they looking to do with their documents? Uh, and then different people have different level of text, technical expertise. Um, you know, despite what we were just saying about not really needing to, uh, not really needing one of these software applications. Uh, the fact is, some people just don't feel comfortable working with files and folders. They want that uh, slightly more handheld view. So, so different software like Neatworks or Evernote or something like that might work better for them. So it's really looking at their goals, uh, their level of tech, technical expertise, uh, and then finding out 
how they're going to interact with these documents and how they're going to retrieve these documents later. Uh, so, you know, we kind of get together, talk about uh, naming conventions, which for me is a big thing. Uh, and it can be a little hard to convince people that they need to put some thought into how they name their files. Uh, but for me, having a consistent and descriptive naming convention is the biggest thing you can do to be able to find those documents later. Um, so it's kind of getting together, looking at what they have, what they're looking to do, and then how they're going to find these things later. Um, and then, of course, drilling into them the importance of a backup as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about how you get somebody started on the paperless track. You know, if they call you and they say, um, I'm ready to do this, I just don't know where to get started or I need help getting started. But before we go there, I do want to take a quick break. Um, and David, I want to have you talk to us about our first sponsor. I'd be happy to do that. And that's our, the Omni Group, which has been a longtime sponsor of the podcast. We're very thankful to have the Omni Group. It's a really great group of people up near Brooks. They're up in Seattle. And one of the products they make that I, I really love and enjoy is Omni Graffle. And they just recently released OmniGraffle version 6, which uh, is a really great update to the application. They really improved it in just about every way. The interface is better. It's got all new icons. Um, one of the things that I really like about this new version is how great it looks on my Retina MacBook Pro. They really, you know, tweaked it so it looks really great in that high-resolution monitor. And it also looks really good in full-screen mode. Uh, you know, the old paradigm for these types of apps was to have that floating inspector. And in this new version, they've made it so it's a single sidebar on the right side of the screen, just kind of like Apple's done with some of the new iWork stuff. And it's really, really powerful. It even selects the appropriate inspector based on what object you've selected. Like the other day, I was working in OmniGraffle. And I had selected a graphic element, and then all of a sudden the inspector that affected graphic elements was was live and hot on the sidebar. And then when I went to adjust the text, it switched over to the text. I didn't have to click between them, which sounds like a little thing, but, you know, that's a lot of work to make that happen. And it makes your work faster because I use OmniGraffle all the time in like meetings. And I, I put together diagrams while people are talking to me, and I want this program to work with me instead of against me they've got better layer management now they've got better guide management like i use guides a lot guides are these great ways to snap your objects to a, a preset guide that they're going to lay on you can do this new version on the graphle 6 you can copy a guide to another um another canvas so once you get the guide exactly how you want it you just copy it right onto the next canvas and you can start right where you pick left off they also do that with layers um there's some other great stuff that they've got resource browser that allows you to customize stencils that you can use over and over again. So if you have an object, like it could be a tree or a little, you know, stick figure or whatever it is that you want to use over and over again, you can create these custom ones and just use it with your documents. And that's another thing I use all the time when I'm making diagrams on the fly, I have some stencils that I use all the time and it syncs everything through omnipresence, which is Omni's document syncing. So you can get things onto your iPad. You can get onto your other Macs. It's just a great way to share the data back and forth. Um, 
I think Omni Group really accomplished a, what I call the difficult triad with this new application. It's powerful, it's simple, and it's deep. And it's very rare that a developer can get all three of those things together. So go check it out. It's OmniGraffle 6. I use it for all sorts of stuff. Like I said, I diagram relationships with people and companies. Like when I have complicated transactions at work and I want to maybe use it in a keynote or even just show it to somebody to say, am I understanding what's going on here? And I put it into a nice little diagram People are always really impressed by the professionalism of the diagrams and how, how polished they look when it's really me just clicking and dragging because it's got magnets and these guides. Everything just lines up beautifully. Um, I use it for diagramming objects. I am getting ready to build a new mantle for my fireplace. You know, we've been in our house for a few years. I'm tired of looking at the old one and I want to make my own. I created it. I, I, I drew it up in OmniGraffle. And I know that there's CAD programs out there, but OmniGraffle has a way to set a dimension and you know, it's an application that I'm comfortable with and it just does it for me. So, you know, you can do just about anything with this, with graphics. Uh, they're available in the Mac app store and at the Omni group website. Uh, I bought it through the website because this is a, a really a professional application. I use the professional version and Apple still hasn't really figured out how to upgrade software, and I didn't want to get stuck. So I bought it through the website, so whenever there's an upgrade, I'll be able to get it through Omnigroup. But, you know, do whatever you want. Mac App Store version is good, too. The standard version is $99. You can get the Pro version for $199. There's upgrade pricing from Omnigroup, and there's also student discounts if you're a student. So go check out OmniGraffle 6. You're going to really like it. Uh, there's also a version for the iPad, which is pretty clever, too. And thank you. Omni Group for supporting us. So, Brooks, I know when people are, you know, kind of get on the paperless bandwagon, they they want to start and they want to just start scanning. But sometimes that's the worst thing you can do is just start scanning and not have any idea what you're going to do with the stuff after you scan it or decide three months later that you want to completely change everything around. So if you've got someone who's ready to start going paperless, I know you talked about some of the importance of planning, but how would you suggest they get started? Yeah, um, you you brought up an example, or a great point, which is a lot of people, they'll start scanning and they'll have PDFs all over the computer. And then, oh no, you know, they can't find something that they're looking for. Uh, it And one of my uh, one of my readers, a guy named John Seversky, uh, he wrote me an email one time and I really liked the way he said it. He said, you know, Brooks, going paperless sounds great, but I don't want to replace a physical paper mess with a digital mess. Uh, and I thought that was put very well because that's often what happens. Uh, so you want to give some thought to organization up front. Uh, but the problem with that is people, like I said before, get paralyzed. They they want to know, like, what's the right uh, folder structure? What's the best folder structure? How should they be named? And it's not, when I say you want to get give some thought to it, you definitely do. But you don't need to go too crazy on it. Uh, so you don't want to first- be paralyzed, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be paralyzed. And what I usually recommend... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I I feel like with anything in technology, at some point, you got to climb on a horse and start riding. Exactly. Yeah. Um, What I usually recommend people do is start with the new paper coming in, get your workflow nailed down with that, and then worry about your backlog that you have. Um, Because a lot of times there's a lot of, of negative emotion uh, 
revolving around that paper that they have sit, sit, uh, sitting there. And if they start with the backlog, they just feel like they're never making progress. Uh, so I, I recommend that people start with the new stuff, figure out a very simple, it doesn't have to be complex, folder structure. Um, for businesses, a lot of times they'll have a physical paper filing structure that works well for them. So for them, a lot of times it can help just translating that to digital. So there, there isn't this huge learning curve, learning this new structure. Um, but I usually recommend that people, when they're looking at their organization structure, try to keep it as, as shallow as possible. Uh, you know, and not to say that you just throw everything into one big folder, uh, although some people do do that. Uh, but we have this advantage with these digital documents to be able to search for them and find them. And by having huge levels of folders, which Katie, I know you do, so maybe we'll get into it, but <laughs> having huge levels of, of folders, uh, you really, uh, you're not taking advantage of the, the tools that you have, at least, in, at least in my opinion. Have you ever noticed Katie, how much Brooks has the cadence of Tim Cook down? <laughs> maybe maybe it's a canadian thing i don't know it's oh, he's from alabama it. maybe there's maybe you know there's a relationship there i'm not sure <laughs> what is that is is duncan really your last name brooks yeah it's, it's a secret you you busted me that's right well you know we, we, we've talked a lot in the show over the past and you know uh, we've written books about you know getting going with paperless i'll tell you one question i have is you're kind of the sharp end at the business end of, of, of not just helping people get their paperless house in order for you know their personal records but when you go into a business and i don't know how big your clients are and maybe you know this isn't really an appropriate question let me know if it's not but when do the consumer type solutions that we so often talk about break for you or do they? I mean, um, yeah, I generally work with smaller clients. So a lot of times the consumer this, and to be honest, it's more, this is one of the only areas where there's some better solutions on windows than there is for Mac. But, but typically a lot of these com, com, uh, consumer type, uh, and small home office type solutions will work for very small businesses where things start falling apart is when, for example, they have multiple people that work with documents. Um, maybe they want to have access control over who can, who can get at what document. Uh, and, you know, maybe they want some sort of version control and audit trails and that sort of thing. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what the, the, the size of the company would be that that runs into this problem. But that's usually once you get into those type of features, it's a whole other ball game as far as solutions go. Um, but I, for the, know, yeah, sorry. I, yeah I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go for it. Well, I like in, I speak to the uh, American Bar Association quite often and they have these conferences and I go to them and I walk around the show floor and I talk to the guys that are selling the high end paperless solutions. I mean, these are things that cost thousands of dollars and you have to pay people to come in and train your staff on. And they, they give you the document audit trail and they give you simultaneous editing. And they like, if you've got an office in Boston and an office in New York, you can have people all working on it at once. 
And I get that there's some features there that don't exist with a lot of the stuff that I am most in favor of. But then I go to the sessions and there's a lot of people that are interested in paperless there. And, and a lot of them have these expensive solutions installed in their offices. And so many of them are looking for going back towards the kind of stuff that you and I like. And, and the reason is because they're so complicated that nobody actually uses them. And, and I'm just not convinced that there is a good solution for a big paperless. And so I know, you know, like government entities and, you know, IBM and big companies probably have very detailed paperless systems in place. And it just seems to me it's like such an edge case and in general, just worse than the stuff we do that I I'm just not in favor of going there. I mean, I guess if, if you come to me and you've got 2000 employees, I'm going to tell you, you need to get something like that, but I'm not your man. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm laughing, uh, not at you, but I'm laughing because I had a phone call this morning uh, on exactly this topic. It was windows, not Mac, but exactly uh, what you're talking about. Uh, this company, they use one of these big software solutions. I won't say which one. Um, and it's just too much. Like it, it just adds too much friction. They don't really need it. Uh, they find it doesn't work half the time. And so uh, I'm going to be helping them extract their stuff out of this system uh, into a more files and folders type type deal for exactly all the reasons that you just said. And, yeah. and I think you'll find that happens more often than you think. I mean, my my office years ago spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on one of these types of systems and, and on employees and manpower getting stuff into that system. But nobody really knew why we had it or why we got it other than just somebody said that that was what we needed to do. And okay. And we just did, we scanned stuff into it and we never used the OCR feature and we never tagged stuff and we never named it what it was supposed to be. And then all of a sudden we had to pay these maintenance fees and these service fees and then it didn't get updated and now it's no longer supported. And now we've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars getting our data out because it was kept in some kind of proprietary format that we had to manually export every single file to a PDF. And uh, ultimately what we're doing, files and folders. You you just described the terror I'm feeling from uh, as a result of the phone call this morning of what I may be in for. So, <laughs> well, it wouldn't something like that though if you had, and I don't want to go too far down this this rat hole. But if if you had that kind of problem, wouldn't that be something worth looking into, like hiring a scripter or like someone like that's Ben Waldy? Yeah, that's ultimately what we did, and I, I want to say we got a good chunk of it out, but we did have to hire someone to manually cross check the data because it was, you know, garbage in, garbage out. The script's only going to pull out what was put in. Yeah. And, and that, we just couldn't trust what was in. And just one more cautionary tale against data silos. You know, every time you get an app that says, I'm going to take care of this data for you. And it's stuff that you think you're going to want to hold on to for more than a couple of years or, you know, longer than the lifespan of that product. You better have a good way to get it out at the end or you're going to have a lot of pain. Yep. Agreed. That's one of my concerns about using Evernote, frankly, as a paperless system. Um, I said, I didn't want to make this a paperless show, but we just keep talking about it. <laughs> but you know, Katie, I get what you're talking about. I mean, I've, I, I use Evernote more than I ever have, but I still don't use it to store paperless documents because I just don't like the way just getting stuff out is just too tedious for me. And I know that sometimes it drags and comes out and sometimes it doesn't. And, 
I know I'm going to get that series of emails from the same people I get every time I talk about this subject, but it just doesn't feel to me like the right solution for holding my paperless documents yet. Well, hold that thought, because I know Brooks uses Evernote, but he doesn't use it for his paperless workflow. So I want to find out why not and what he's using it for. But in, until he tells us what he uses Evernote for, I want to I want to wrap up this paperless discussion, because I know you said you don't want this to be a paperless show. Um, so I want to wrap up this paperless discussion by asking Brooks, what do you use for paperless lifestyle? And I know you kind of did this blog post on your on your site, maybe end of last year, beginning of this year about your paperless lifestyle, but what works for you? Yeah, so um, it probably won't surprise you to learn that I use a ScanSnap scanner. Uh, so the most of my paper that doesn't start digital, will, uh, I will scan with the ScanSnap iX500. Uh, what I do, and some people like doing it this way, some people don't. I'm not sure what, where you guys stand on this. What I do is I have profile set up in my ScanSnap, depending on the type of paper. So I have profile for stack of single-sided documents, stack of double-sided documents, and kind of those all-in-one documents. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I found that for me to be the most efficient way of scanning stuff in. So what I'll do is I'll quickly, if I'm going to be scanning a stack of paper, I will quickly pre-sort into those kind of piles and then just rip them through the scan snap really quickly. Um, okay, I'm sorry, you've lost me already. So, <laughs> but so when you when you run something through the scan snap, it's going to create one single PDF file for whatever you you stick in that document feeder. Or am well, I wrong about that? Uh, you are, I am you wrong are, about that. You are right and wrong at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can set up profiles with the ScanSnap manager, and you can set up a profile that says, for every piece of paper that goes through here, create one PDF. So that's the first thing you can do. You can further define that saying, uh, this is easy to show than talk through, but you can also set up a profile that says, for every piece of paper that goes through here, both sides of that paper save to one PDF. So you can put in a stack of double-sided paper into the ScanSnap. Say you put in 20 pieces of paper, and it will automatically kick out 20 PDFs double-sided. And so um, you're you're fine as long as you've pre-sorted and right. you don't have a two-page, and by two-page, I mean two physical pieces of paper utility bill. Exactly. So, okay. so, so that's why I... And this works well for me. Some people prefer to just scan a big stack in to one PDF and split from there. Um, I just personally find it faster to pre-sort. Um, uh, that works really well for me. So I have, in general, those three uh, ScanSnap Manager profiles set up. Right. So I'm sorry, profile one was... Um, stack of single. Stack of single. Profile two was stack of double. Double. Right? And, and profile, profile three? Profile three is all in one. So okay. what you were just talking about, those those double-sided, or two, two, two or more pieces of paper in one PDF. Uh, when you talk about it, it sounds complicated, but it's actually very easy to set up. And, and once you do it, it's, it's very simple to, uh, to keep going. And, see, uh, that's already that's already a, a difference for me. And maybe, David, this is what you were going to say. I scan, okay, here's my utility bill. Done. Okay, here's my receipt from lunch. Done. Okay, here's my, and I just scan, you know, because it scans through so quickly, I just load a document, scan, done. Load another thing, scan. And by document, I mean 
a document could be two or three pages, but this is one thing scanned done. This is another thing scanned done. This is a third thing scanned done. And it all scans to a single folder, and then I process when I'm done with my batch scanning. Yeah, I... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, David, is that what you do, or you do... Um, Well, I I tried, you know, looking at at Brooks's method of the pre-sort and and doing it, because that way you can batch scan multiple things with one press of the blue button, and then you get it into multiple files. But I found that, first of all, the iX500 is such an amazing piece of hardware, you know, full disclosure, they're a sponsor, but it is an amazing piece of hardware. And it, it zips those things through there so fast that I just have a pile of paper. I just literally did it last night. I was, and I'm, I was watching TV. My wife and I are finishing house of cards, you know, in time for the new season. And, and I just take a piece and put it in there and I'd push the blue button. And sometimes it was one page. Sometimes it was two pages. Sometimes it was 20 pages. And each time it went through very quickly, it did the OCR right at the time. I would see it show up on the screen. I have mine set. So it previews it and preview just so I can see it, it got in. Okay. And it's straight. And, and I just went through, and at the end of the day, I had probably like 30 pieces of paper, 30 documents scanned in as separate files. And then I just hold the option key and I hit the close button on the top preview window and it shuts all of them down and everything is saved to my action folder for me to work on further. And I was able to do the whole thing with very little, you know, it's, it's what I would call background activity. You know, you can do that while you're watching TV or, or doing other things or listening to music. And and for me, the process of just scanning each document individually has turned out faster. It's definitely faster than scanning them as a big pile and trying to go through a preview or a PDF pen and figure out where each one starts and stops. That that That's the longest way to do it, in my opinion. Um, and I think it's probably about a wash when with the way Brooks does it, where it, to go through and pull each piece out and make three stacks and get them in. Right. I, I just, I go at it like a madman. I just throw the stuff in there and push the button. All right. That's just me. So we've, we've, I was just going to say we took over Brooks's explanation, but no, no, no. <laughs> uh, there is. Yeah. Like we, everybody for everybody, you know, we find different things that work for us. When I first started doing this, I was, like I said, I was using the, the S300M, which is significantly slower than the, uh, yeah. than the IX500. So uh, yeah, uh, it all, it all works. What um, different, we all have different ways of doing it and they all work. Um, so you're scanning to a folder with these profiles and I'm assuming you're OCRing at the same time. Yeah. Go I, I, Go ahead. Yeah, so I I do OCR everything. Um, I use the the I scan to a, a single folder, um, uh, like David said, a, an action folder, an inbox. Uh, for me, that's really powerful. Um, I use the background OCR with the that just came out with the I believe with the iX five hundred. That's when that was released, um, which works pretty well. But again, the OCR is so fast. Uh, whether you do it at the time or in the background, it, it's pretty much a wash uh, with the documents that I scan anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so everything goes to a single inbox. And this is, I mean, I know, David, you've talked about this as well, but this is really powerful because, first of all, for the documents that you have to process manually, scanning them to a single place and then ripping through them and processing them, it just becomes faster doing it, you know, doing it all in batches like that rather than I find anyway, rather than scan name file, scan name file. Yeah. Um, 
So I find that more powerful. But of course, uh, scanning them to a single folder unlocks the ability to do automation, uh, which on the Mac, of course, is Hazel. Hazel is such an amazing application. I mean, there there's some apps that um, it's like a it's like a it's like a fling. You meet them and you have a great fruit, you know, week or two, and then you both decide you need to move on with your lives. Hazel is like it's like uh, Walter and Ellie from Up. That is a long term relationship right there. <laughs> you know, I I can't get over, and it just continues to get better. I mean, like one of the questions I had for you, maybe if we have time later, is how this whole new tagging thing is affecting the way you think about paperless, and. And Hazel already has support for that tagging. So I can put in a tag about hair pieces for bills that I want to pay later. I'm, I'm getting really down, down the road here, but you know, it, it, it really is nice. And, and when you look at that action folder, first of all, when I scanned in, let's say 30 documents, when I was done, there's probably like 12 in there now. And I haven't, I haven't done any work on that folder, but Hazel figured out probably 18 of them for me and it sorted them, filed them, renamed them, did all that stuff for me. And I'm looking at the 12 in there and I look at each one critically. Am I ever going to see something like this again? And if so, it's getting a Hazel roll. Yeah, absolutely. And also it, it used to be one of the, the knock, you know, depending on how you do things, one of the knocks against Hazel was if you wanted to date it with, the quote-unquote right date versus the scan date or just the month, you know, Hazel couldn't do it. Um, But once they, I think it was 3.1, once they released that ability to extract the date out of the document, um, for me, that was a total game changer because then you can really go end-to-end with these things using the correct date of the the document, which a lot of people were were leery of before. Oh, that's magical. And it doesn't have to be a date. I mean, it can right, be any right. kind of match. I, I It's tax time right now. And so I've used it with like batch processing receipts because sometimes I like to have the total amount paid for something in the, in the title of, a, of something. And it's just like, oh, here's my receipt from April 24th for Amazon for $57.63. Boom. Thank you, Hazel. Yeah. yeah. And another tool that really helps um, with this is when for the ones that Hazel doesn't catch is text expander is huge for you know we all think of text expander for emails and that sort of thing which of course is great for but text expander can be really killer for naming your electronic documents as well absolutely for, for the ones yeah. that you know you have common but not common that you can use hazel um, or you know inserting dates and stuff like that text expander for me is is one of the the one-two punch of automating this paperless process. It's text expander and Hazel. Yeah. Especially like using the, the fill in feature of text expander because that works now for a while. It didn't really work very well in file naming, but it does now. And so if you've got a file name, like if you've got a file going back to my earlier example that I've got the column view in the finder and I've got a, a file highlighted, I can hit it hit return and that will allow me to immediately change that basically opens the change name field on a file in the finder and then type in your text expander snippet. And if you've got fill in fields, you're naming stuff right there. Like I have one of those and this one actually, I, I think I even included in the paperless field guide. It's, it's uh, expenses. If I buy something that I'm going to write about from X Sparking, I'm going to list it. Um, and my taxes, I type dot MSE max Sparky expense. And it, it, creates a whole name of the thing 
and then it allow it has a fill in for me to describe what it is, and then it, it sends a copy to my tax file. It sends a copy to my receipt file. It, it does all that stuff for me, all with the text expander that then has some secret words in it that that Hazel picks up on to finish the the close. You know, it's crazy. All right. Well, I want to continue talking about your your paperless workflow, but before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our second sponsor for this episode, and that is our good friends over at One Password. And uh, David, you know, I think I told you that my mom had mentioned she actually got on the uh, paperless bandwagon Brooks last year and got her a scan snap. She actually stole mine. So, but whatever, she's my mother, she's allowed. And she told me this year, uh, well, before Christmas, that this was the year that she decided she wanted to do that one password thing. And she has no idea what this means, but she just knows that her passwords are out of control and that she can't remember them all. But that, so she wants to do that one password thing. So we got her a license to one password and the iOS app and got her all set up for Christmas and come January 1st, that's, that's what she wanted to do. And all of her passwords were going to go in, in one password this year. So I, I thought this was a worthy goal and decided that I was going to encourage this in any way that I possibly could. So we, we got it all loaded up for her. And um, she was just kind of having a, a grand old time going to her various websites of her various accounts and putting all of her passwords in one password. And a lot of people tell me that that's where it really breaks down for them is, is they don't know how to get started. You know, how do I go and get all my stuff into one password? And the reality is, and, and what I told her, because I didn't want to overwhelm her and she just wanted to sit down for, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes at a time and get a piece of it and then 20, 30 minutes and get another piece is just use your computer. I installed one password on her computer and I took her on a brief overview of, of the, of the application and say, you know, this is where these things are and this is where these things are. And I installed the one password extension, which will work in any of her major browsers, whether she's using Safari or Chrome or Firefox, but mainly she uses Safari and told her just to start going through her bookmarks. And the beauty of one password is that, um, it will automatically pick up passwords as you start uh, putting them into your system. So uh, we started out with Amazon. I said, well, let's go to Amazon and let's log into Amazon. And she went to her Amazon.com account, put in her username and password, and boom, one password popped up and said, hey, uh, do you want me to remember this login for you? Yes, please. And I said, all right, well, let's just work our way down some of your bookmarks. What are the sites that you frequently visit? And within about 10 minutes, you know, we had 10 or 15 of her passwords and some of her most used passwords all right there in one password, and she didn't have to enter anything. She just continued to browse like she normally did. And while we were in one password, I was able to show her, you know, these are your passwords. These are where they're stored. This is how you can add additional information to your password. This is where you can put notes in. And then I, what I did is I took her down and I showed her the security audit feature of one password. And she said, oh, it doesn't like any of my passwords because it will show you if you've got good passwords, um, whether your passwords are too short, whether they could be longer, whether they're weak passwords, um, or whether you've duplicated passwords across sites. And so she knows that for those passwords that are listed as weak passwords or those passwords where she's used the same password across multiple websites, those are where she needs to take priority and start changing the password. So, you know, 1Password is a very powerful application it can be a little overwhelming, I think, to people who have never used it before, but it is so important to get this stuff 
done right and to start using a program like 1Password so that you're not duplicating these passwords, so that you're using strong passwords across multiple sites. And uh, it doesn't have to be that hard. You can break it down into steps and you don't have to do it all in one day. You can do it in a couple steps over a couple of weeks. But to me, I think the big thing is just get started and get doing something. So, um, David, is that how you get your family into it or do you just yeah, kind do. of put them I, through boot camp? Well, you know, it, uh, one opportunity, sadly, is when someone gets hacked and they're like, and they just feel so powerless about it. And I say, look, you know, there's a way you can take responsibility for this. And you can get some help with an application. And, and so I sit down and go and I, I show them how I use it. And once they see that, then they're in. And and like you, I, I don't try and overwhelm them with it. But it's really not that complicated. And I've trained lots of people in my family and friends and colleagues on it that are not computer savvy, who are very what I would call one password power users. They They use it for all the features. So it's not that difficult. Just uh, just get someone and sit them down with it, because this is truly necessary in our day and age, right. sadly. Well, you can find more information about 1Password on their website over at OnePassword.com. It's available in the Mac App Store, where you can pick it up and use it on all of your computers that you've got registered. You can also get a version for iOS that's a hybrid version that will work on your iOS devices, including your iPad and your uh, iPhone. And um, give it a try and introduce 1Password to, to someone important in your life. And thanks, 1Password, for sponsoring the show. Can I ask about tags now? Yes, ask about tags. So, so Brooks, how do you see tags fitting in now that we have them in Mavericks? Or do you? So here's the interesting thing about tags. Um, I actually... S- when I first started all this, I was big on tags. I would tag everything using the open meta tags. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, it's still part of my workflow, actually. I have a Hazel rule that assigns, well, assigned open meta tags. Um, and, uh, you know, I the my, my workflow for processing documents, I would assign tags as well. Um, but... It's kind of funny that now that Mavericks supported tags, now that Mavericks is supporting tags, I just find myself, I, t- I have tagged this stuff, but I never use those tags to actually find anything. So, so it's a wasted effort for you. For me, historically, yes. But I think the approach that I would take now is instead of tagging documents to identify them the way that I had always done is kind of what you're doing with, with your, uh, your hairpiece tag there is where this could be really powerful is for those type of actions for, for something that will set these documents apart from all the other documents that they may already be filed with. So a two pay, um, uh, tag like you said or maybe a tag for a certain project i could see it working well for that um, yeah, and, spe- uh, yeah. just for people who have no idea about this running joke about hairpiece uh in a prior show i had mentioned that i'm using tags i think it was with brett terpstra that i am um, or maybe it was even more recent than that but i mm-hmm. i have a tag and what i should have said is payable and so like i have because Hazel is so efficient, it will name and file a document for me if it's something that I haven't paid yet, and it does that, that there's a chance that I will forget to pay the bill because I scanned it and 
as soon as I scanned it in, my Mac named it and filed it for me, you know, and I never paid the bill. So I create a tag called payable or actually called to pay. And, um, that's just cause I'm a little nuts. And, and that, that rule really is great. Cause then I can just go in the finder and look at anything with that tag on it and make sure that gets handled. And so that's what I would call a temporary tag. And, and the, you know, the conclusion I've kind of come out with this ongoing discussion we've had of tags over the show, the last few months as, as Mavericks kind of sunk in is that I think it's a mistake to think about tags and filing as mutually exclusive. They're both tools you can use at the same time. And you just find out what works for you. Uh, the, the cost of entry with tagging is the time it takes to tag it. And then the benefit is the time you save on the back end. Um, with a tool like Hazel and some of the other tools out there, like Default Folder X, for instance, actually, or even the, the native saving tool in Mac OS X, there really is not a lot of cost to creating these tags now. It it's, it's very simple. Like as an example, just to go off the paperless top, topic for a second in Byword, there's a, t- there's a, there's a tag throughout my Mac called drafts. And in Byword, when I'm working on a text file, I will save it with the tag drafts. I just had an article go up in Macworld and it was a drafts for about a week and a half. And I could just look at all my drafts and see, oh, there's that one in there. But once I submitted the article, I killed that tag and then it's off that list now. So I'm finding I'm using tags in kind of a temporary slash action capacity more than a filing capacity. But I'm also getting more comfortable with them, which means that inevitably I'm going to be using them for some filing too. And if I can do that with an automatically applied Hazel rule where I don't, I have zero time invested creating it then it's okay if I don't use it that often because I I'm ahead, you know, in that time in that economic relationship in terms of time invested versus time received. But it's, I think it's a really interesting ongoing discussion for us nerds. Yeah. Um, and especially with more and more stuff being stored in iCloud as well, I can see tagging becoming bigger there. And I think you're right that it's not mutually exclusive where tags come really handy, um, especially in Evernote and probably growing in Mavericks now that it's native and you don't have to worry about Apple killing them in the next update is binding, binding related documents together. So, uh, a project would be a good example. Or for me, where I use tags a lot in Evernote is um, when I'm traveling. So, you know, I'll, I'll have, uh, I'll go on a trip, say, to World Domination Summit. Um, I might have had notes all over, depending on what they are, but they would all be bound together by that WDS 2013 tag. So I can get a really quick look at everything related to that. So I found it really helpful for that. Yeah, and if Apple finds a way to make these tags translate into iOS 8, for example, and I'm not sure that they can based on what I understand of how these tags work, but let's say they do, then it becomes a much, a much deeper conversation because at that point you really start thinking about it in other ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the show we weren't going to do about paperless, we've now spent an hour talking about paperless. <laughs> and we know that you don't use evernote for storing your paperless documents so files and folders nested how deep and and are you keeping these in the cloud or just on your system or i know you've done some interesting stuff with sync recently yeah so i keep them uh files and folders on my mac uh 
Traditionally, I have used Dropbox for them. Uh, so as of right now, almost all of them uh, are in are, are just in Dropbox. Uh, nothing too exciting there. Um, I actually use. Uh, and this is more a historic thing than anything, uh, and it kind of surprises people when I tell them this, I actually do use a piece of software to process my documents. Um, I use YEP by Ironic Software. Uh, now, I don't, almost all of the the features of it I have turned off. Um, I just, because I've historically tagged, I, I've just kind of used it as a window into processing my documents and and using keyboard commands for that. Um, but what I've liked about Yep historically is you can set up these bookmarks to very quickly move and tag related doc, uh, you know, documents that you use a lot. Um, now Hazel has kind of gotten rid of a lot of that for me, um, and so my workflow is in kind of flux right now for 2014. Uh, I'm thinking of of just going uh, straight up straight up Finder uh, and not using that software. But right now everything's stored on Dropbox. Um, I'm kind of there's a couple options I'm thinking of changing that to, uh, just based on some of the stuff that's been going on. Um, I have transporters here, file transporters. So I've been toying with the idea of moving my documents to uh, uh, to a transporter. Um, hosted locally, which is a which is a great uh, device. Um, and there's another service I've been evaluating also called Sync.com. Uh, and one thing that's one of the benefits of that is it it has more encryption than Dropbox. Uh, you know, it, uh, they don't have the keys to your to your data the way that Dropbox does. Um, and also, the servers are hosted um, actually up here in Canada, uh, where I get a lot of people, especially businesses, bookkeepers, and stuff like that, they want the ability to store their documents in, quote-unquote, the cloud, or at least have them accessible remotely, um, but they don't want it uh, outside of Canada or... Um, uh, or or in the United States. I was trying to think of a nice way to say it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's We funny don't blame you. Because it used to be like you'd say, well, I never want my data stored in some, you know, country X on the other side of the world where it's full of hackers and, you know, it's much safer in America. And then turns out that uh, we do have hackers here. They just, you know, work for the government. I mean, yeah, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, it, the way I kind of think of it, if the NSA wants my stuff, they're going to get The it. NSA isn't spying on us. They're spying on the Canadians. So they're looking at all the Brooks stuff. That's fine. Yeah, Don't worry about it. That's good. So I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking uh, of doing that. The thing that's the main thing that's been holding me back from sync.com is they don't have any iOS apps yet. So that's a no-go for me. Uh, I'll tell you what, I am really enjoying Transporter for my documents. I'm putting more and more of my stuff there. Yeah, yeah, so I'm thinking of that as well. So uh, watch for a future blog post on that cuz I think that's yeah. going to be the way I go. It's and, just a lot more comfortable knowing that look if if I really want I can I can pull the power cord and that stuff is no longer available. Yeah. And then I promise. I think I well, okay, I'm not going to promise, but I think the last question I have about your paperless workflow and then David can finally move us on to a different topic is what about on the go? What about when you're out of your out of the house or when you're traveling or just out and about? I mean, for for collecting things, do you just collect things and bring them back and then run them through your scan snap or do you do any kind of scanning on the go? Or um, just yeah. note taking and things like that. Do you do you carry um you know the hipster PDA like David or 
Um, so I, I don't even know what you're t- talking about, Katie. Isn't the hipster PDA like uh, index cards? Uh, yeah, I, I guess it is. I never really thought of it that way. The, hip, the hipster PDA was Merlin's thing where you put a paper clip on them and you stuck them in your pocket. Right. Yeah. But I guess I am kind of copying. I never thought about that. I mm-hmm. owe so much to Merlin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I, so historically, I've carried around, and I still do, actually. It's in my bag, um, uh, a field notes notebook. Uh, and if I had something, I, I would jot it down. And it got it actually got to the point where I guess I've had gotten such a rep as as being uh, you know a paperless guy uh, people introduced me as at conferences as paperless brooks that one time i was writing in my field notes and they said look brooks is writing on paper and they actually took pictures of me doing it um so i've actually i've yeah, actually clearly started, that has to stop yeah so i've actually started moving to more digital uh, note taking. So what I tend to do is if it's just something I'm out and about and I just want to make a quick note, uh, it, I use drafts on iOS. So I, I jot something down there or use Siri and then send it to where it needs to go to OmniFocus or Evernote or whatever. Um, if I'm sitting in a conference, actually, I was just at a conference and this is the first time I've ever done done it completely digital. Um, I will uh, I the last time I was at a conference, I used an app called Notability, and Notability is cool because you can type into it, but you can also um, draw on it with a stylus and write on it with a stylus. Uh, so I used that at a conference for the first time, and it worked actually really, really well. And and you can record the conference. Did you know that? Too. Yeah, that's yeah. Too. I didn't do it, but yeah, you definitely can. Um, so that so uh, so that is how I capture this stuff and if it's receipts and stuff like that um, I'll capture it with uh, scanner pro or or genius scan or one of those type of apps um, and send it on where it where it needs to go from there uh, yeah it, it, it's worked really well for me I've I've I'm not anti-paper despite what uh, some people think um, but I've tried to be more more kind of walk the talk uh, in this stuff. And I've managed to eliminate paper in a lot of areas that I didn't think I'd be able to. You know, for me, it's not a question of trying to prove a point. It's just whatever technology works for, for years, I used the little notebooks, but uh, the launch of the application drafts, which really defined a new genre of app where it, it made it as fast for me. It actually made it faster for me, soup to nuts to capture something in drafts because I already, then I'd already have it digital and it could go to OmniFocus or go to wherever I wanted it to go. And, um, that's faster to me than running it down on a piece of paper and later putting it into a digital form. So now that's what I use. It it wasn't, you know, just a question of trying to say, well, you know, paperless Brooks or paperless Dave, it's, it's just, this works better. Um, And I still carry note cards because, Sometimes I need to draw a picture of a diagram, like I said in the OmniGraphel spot, I, I think visually, and I hand it to somebody, and I'm not going to give them my iPhone. So the note card works for that. It, the, the, the tools are out there. You know, on drafts, were you, I wasn't aware of until this week, we had a, a very smart listener write into me and say, there is a setting in drafts where it puts a badge on the app for any unprocessed notes. Did you know that? I did not know it. I learned it from your blog post. And that is, I can't believe I didn't know that because that it's so killer for me. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I would. Yeah. I, I, I love that feature. I turned that on. You blogged it before I could do something with it. But yeah, I turned that on as soon as I got that email from the guy. I was like, wow. Yeah. We have such smart listeners. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, let's do another ad spot. And I'd like to talk uh, after that about some of the other stuff Brooks does. And and our sponsor is Pixelmator. Uh, did you know that Pixelmator, which is the premier graphics application on the Mac, you know, for uh, editing photographs and doing things like that, that has a million downloads, Katie. That's astounding. I mean, whenever you talk about an app store success story, you have to talk about Pixelmator. Because they yeah. they have really they have embraced the app store and and it's just it is phenomenal. I mean it's just an incredibly powerful application and and they have just embraced it and they've just thrived. It, it's just a million downloads. You know if we if we had a million downloads of of my paperless book, I would be podcasting right now from Hawaii. I'm just telling you. Uh, but either way, so, so Pixelmator has been very successful and for good cause. And they just released version 3.0 FX, which is the latest and greatest ver- version of Pixelmator. And it, even though it's a major release version 3.0, you didn't have to buy it again. I, I still got it with my original purchase, which made me really happy. They've added layer styles. So, um, you can have these non-destructive layer styles to create polished and advanced compositions and you can move things around much faster. They're really nice. They've got the liquify tools that you can shape an image and then slightly twist it or add an artistic detail, or you can completely distort the entire image, which is kind of fun. I got to admit, I haven't found a productive use of that, but I've done that probably more than any other effect in version 3.0. Now Um, I just have to ask, are these pictures of me? Of course not, Katie Floyd. Usually okay. they're pictures of me and my kids are demonstrating. Are liquefying. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just asking. Um, and then um, they've got a new editing image. And this is one of the reasons why you should buy Pixelmator. It's an app made for the Mac. These guys use the whole, you know, tamale in terms of the Mac development platform. These guys are at WWDC. It's a small team and they want to make the best app possible. So they're using core image, open CL, open GL, you know, all these new Macs coming out with all these great uh, video cards in them and video processing like the Mac pro that's got this crazy video processing ability. Pixelmator can take advantage of that stuff because it uses the video card to help make it run faster. It's a full 64 bit architecture uses grand central dispatch, anything that Apple comes out with to make an app better for the Mac these guys jump on it. And as a result, it's just this wicked fast photo editing package. And we we did the photo management show last week. What I didn't talk about is how I make my photos look good. And so often my secret weapon is Pixelmator. This year we did our holiday card um, from Hawaii. Actually, we made like a, a vintage Hawaiian postcard and I'm not a pro, you know, I don't spend a lot of time doing this, but I went on the Pixelmator website and I watched some of the tutorials about some of the effects that I wanted to do to give it kind of a vintage look. And the final product came out really nice. So, you know, all this stuff can be done with Pixelmator for the whopping price of twenty nine ninety nine. You know, and when you look at how much this photo processing software comes with, I mean, I don't know how much, um, you know, some of the Adobe stuff goes for now. In fact, I guess that they want you to subscribe. This is just $29.99 and you're in. You own the application. It's a great deal. Um, it ties right into iPhoto or to Aperture or your photo management software of choice. And it'll make better photos. And if you feel like you're the kind of person who's always wanted to get better at this stuff, but didn't have the time to go get a degree in how to run an application, 
go to pixelmator.com slash tutorials and watch some of their tutorials. And I guarantee before you get done watching them, you're going to end up buying a copy of the application because it's just really that good. And you'll see how easy it is for you to make great photos. Go check it out. And, and Pixelmator is another sponsor that's been with us a long time. And I want to thank them for supporting our show. Okay. Now we can find out how you use Evernote. Because if you don't use it for your paperless system, and, and I use it for my paperless system, but that's not the only thing I use it for. So I, I want to know all about how you use Evernote. Yeah. Uh, so I am a big Evernote user. I've used it for years and years and years and years and years. Um, and I actually wrote a blog post about how I use it because I get asked that quite a bit. Um, what I tend to use Evernote for, like you said, I don't use it for uh, storing my paperless documents. And I've never been able to describe how I use it. But I was talking to one of my readers once and he, the way he said it to me is perfect. He goes, oh, I see. So you use Evernote as your bulletin board and files and folders as your file cabinet. And I thought, yeah, yeah. And I thought, yeah, that's a perfect way to describe it because what I tend to, to think of how I use Evernote for is almost transitional stuff. So I will capture ideas. So ideas for blog posts, ideas for newsletters, ideas for screencasts, um, all stuff around, you know, my kids, uh, I have two kids uh, and they're, if you have kids in, in school, a lot of paper comes at you. So capturing their schedules and soccer stuff. Um, I keep business cards in Evernote, uh, high level stuff around projects, um, uh, and just memories that I want to capture, uh, you know, so if I'm having a really good beer, I'll tend to capture, uh, you know, the label in that, um, and then travel as well. My whole travel life kind of goes into Evernote so that if I need to pull up a, a schedule or a hotel reservation or whatever, all that is in Evernote as well. Um, and, you know, there's more stuff that I use it for as well, but those are just the main ones off the top of my head, uh, I love Evernote. I like the I like the bulletin board analogy, and I, I guess I use it both as my filing cabinet and my bulletin board. And that's kind of the beauty of a tool like Evernote is you can use it for so many things. There's there's no right or wrong way. Um, and then another thing I, I think is is curious is tell me a little bit about because you you quit your job in in the accounting and in the tech field, and then you just started running a business on a, on this document snap website and, and you consult and I know you do a lot of webinars and seminars through the, through the site. How do you, I mean, I get that we're in 2014 now, but, but how do you, how do you run a business? I mean, I, I know that you probably travel some for your job, but you're certainly not flying all around the country to consult with individuals on, on setting up paperless workflows. Are you, are you doing, you know, phone consults? Are you doing FaceTime? Are you, um, you know, doing your seminars? How, how do you put all that together? Uh, yeah, so a lot of it has to, uh, it depends what we're, what we're talking about. Um, as far as uh, the products that I sell, uh, that's all through a, a shopping cart that I use. So it's all on my website. I don't want to deal with the processing of payments or any of that stuff. Um, it, it would be nice if I someday get it into the, uh, the iBook store because that takes even more hassle out of my life. But um, for now, I use a shopping cart off my website. It's called eJunkie. Um, it's okay. Uh, I'm not personally a fan of it, uh, but it's working for me right now. Um, I work 
you're right. I, I only one time have I ever done an actual in-person consult. Everything else has been virtual. Uh, I wish I could use FaceTime, but uh, since my my readers and my client base is basically 50-50 Mac and Windows. Uh, that doesn't work out too well. So I, a lot of Skype calls. Um, I use GoToAssist uh, for those remote support um, situations. There's a lot of tools out there for that. Uh, but at least so far, I found that that's the easiest one for having customers not have to because a lot of my clients aren't super technical. Uh, so I wanted to find the, the easiest one for them. I wish we could do FaceTime. That would make it even better. Um, but GoToAssist has worked really well for me. And that, that's an area actually that is, and join.me is another good one. Um, that's an area that's really come far. When I used to do tech support uh, for our financial software company, we used to have a product called PC Anywhere. And we'd have a bank of modems. And we'd have to phone the client and tell them to, to call this certain number on their modem uh, so we could uh, view their screen. So that's... I actually remember that, Brooks. I used that application. <laughs> it was terrible. We'd have the clients that, that called us all the time that would memorize our phone number. So they would just say, just give me the last digit because, you know, they knew the rest of the number. <laughs> yeah. And we thought we were living in the future at that, that yeah. time. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Um, uh, yeah, that's a lot of it. Um, I, I've done online classes uh and those were phone based and i used a tool called instant teleseminar for that which is pretty good um i did one webinar and i don't don't know if i should say the name of the tool because uh it was a complete disaster so i i definitely don't want to recommend it uh the tool that i used i kind of tried to cheap out a little bit and what would happen was i i would be talking and showing my screen uh, actually, the the webinar was a was called "Go Paperless with Hazel," <laughs> uh, so it is kind of related to this talk. And I would be showing on my screen, and then people would be hearing me real time, but seeing my screen up to like five minutes earlier. Um, wow! So Ouch. yeah, that was. So I ended up just re-recording the whole thing using ScreenFlow uh, and and sending it to the participants that way. And you can still buy it off my website. Um, so if I was to do it again, uh, that's one of the areas where the gold standard for that that everybody seems to use is just go to webinar. Um, it's a Citrix product, uh, and that that's the one that I would use if I if I was to do another webinar, which I probably will um, early this year. I, I did one to the uh, to the federal judges college, which is a lot of federal judges and. And you you don't want to guys, screw that one up, do you? Yeah, those guys are used to having things work the way they want it to work. And I was really impressed with Citrix because we had a lot of people jumping in and out and hundreds of, of, of people watching the episode. And it, it went just flawlessly. I would definitely recommend them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- I mean, those are the main things. Uh, blogging and, and writing my newsletter are, are probably the things that I do the most. Um, and that's honest. I don't do any advertising or anything like that. Uh, everything comes through word of mouth or just organic Google search. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy my newsletter, actually. I, I mean, email is the last thing that more pe- that people need. Um, but I just recently did a survey of my newsletter and, and, uh, and 20% of the people said they'd actually like to get it more frequently. Um, so, so it's fun doing the newsletter and interacting with people 
that way. Although uh, I think I'm, I might uh, take up David's uh, advice on using SaneBox because I'm kind of getting to the point where I need something like that. It makes a huge difference. And the, then, um, oh, go ahead, David. Go ahead, Katie. There you go ahead. Oh, I was I was going to kind of shift gears a little bit, but we I I, I have to ask, and I, I certainly don't mean to get in any kind of personal areas, but everybody asks us, how do you do accounting and bookkeeping and uh, money management on the Mac? Um, because that seems to be such an area that the Mac still struggles with compared to PCs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I. Uh, that's right. I forgot to mention that. So I, yeah, used and you're an accountant. To, <laughs> yeah. I used to use, um, billings, uh, which you're probably familiar with. It's by a company called market circle, yeah. um, for my invoicing and stuff like that, which are also Canadians if memory serves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good guys. Yeah. And that was pretty good. Um, they discontinued it. So they've kind of migrated to this billings pro, um, which was a bit more than I needed. Uh, so, I have been actually kind of struggling to find a replacement for that because a lot of these services kind of assume that you're in the United States or they, you know, don't do taxes the right way for us, uh, us Canadians, or, you know, maybe they only work with one currency. Um, So right now I've been using a a web service called Curdby, C-U-R-D-B-E-E, um, which is migrating to a new product called Hive Age. Um, and that's reasonably priced, works with Stripe, which is a payment processor that I, that I like. Um, and that's been working out pretty well for me. But as far as the actual bookkeeping goes, um, I gave up trying to do it on the Mac. Uh, I've, I work with um, actually one of my blog, one of my blog readers who is also uh, become a bookkeeper for me. Um, she's in the process of, she's been doing it on uh, windows up to this point, but we're in the process of migrating over to QuickBooks online. Uh, so we're in the very early stages of that, but it's, it's pretty good actually. Um, uh, I don't ha- hear a lot of great feedback about QuickBooks for the Mac, um, but at least so far, uh, QuickBooks Online is looking not too badly, but we're just in the very early stages of that. Well, I want to hear more about some of the the fun stuff you do, and then we can talk about Lego, right, David? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, please. Um, but I do want to anything take, but accounting. Anything but accounting. Uh, All right, that's exactly. that's as, that's as far as we'll get into accounting. Uh, but I do want to take a minute and thank our last sponsor, another long term sponsor, and that is our good friends at Squarespace. And first and foremost, I want to say congratulations to Squarespace uh, because. Uh, this January, a couple of days ago, and January 6th to be exact, uh, was Squarespace's 10-year anniversary. And it's hard to believe. I mean, I, I know that I've been using Squarespace for a couple of years now. David, you've been using it a little longer than that. But Squarespace has been around for 10 years. They're now on on version 6 of, of their Squarespace um, layout, built, uh, layout software for their websites. And it's just amazing uh, the the wonderful things that you can do. I mean, if you want to create a website, if you want to create a blog, if you want to create a portfolio, if you want to create a spot for your business, there's, in my opinion, really no better place to do that than with Squarespace. And Squarespace put out a blog post that just kind of talking about the uh, 10 year anniversary of Squarespace. Um, And then one of the things that they said about is that 
in celebration of their 10th birthday that they're going to be making 10 big announcements in January. And we're recording the show a little early, so they've probably made a couple of them already. But one of the the first ones that they've made is that they've done some major redesigns to Squarespace's layout engine. So now they've got layout engine version two. And we saw a little bit of a precursor of this um, late last year when Squarespace introduced their new apps for iOS. And you all of a sudden with their new Squarespace blogging app, you could get a a really great layout engine on iOS and you can make blog posts that look exactly like they do when using layout engine and what Squarespace kind of tipped their hat at later. And they said, Hey, well, you know, when we released that app for iOS, we, we had layout engine two in mind. And now you can, not only can you make these beautiful laid out pages and blog posts on your iOS devices using their free apps, but you can also now with layout engine version two, you can drag and drop in whether, you know, all of these components and, and resize things and, and just put things exactly where you want them to form the perfect post. So if you want to block a markdown, which is what I'm writing in now, thanks to you, David, if you want to put a photo in here, if you want to scale a photo up, scale it down, if you want to throw in a grid, if you want to throw in a video, I mean, just you tell Squarespace what you want to put in that blog post, where you want to put it, how big or small you want it to be, and Layout Engine's going to take care of the rest. You can put in blocks of code if you want to get real fancy. Um, your images are now automatically going to resize when you move them to parts of your page or you double click them. They're going to wrap around text beautifully. It is just simple drag and drop design. And we've seen a couple of new templates come out of Squarespace, but they've told us that in celebration of their 10 year anniversary, we're going to get 10 great things in January. uh, And they're only just beginning. So I am cannot wait to see what Squarespace has to come up with, because just in the last few months uh, with the updates to their iOS apps, with the uh, updates to layout engine, they have done so many cool things that have just enhanced the quality of my personal website um, for the very reasonable price that I'm already paying for Squarespace. I just can't wait to see what else they do. So if you've been wanting to redesign your website, if you've been thinking about starting a website, maybe that's something that you want to do this year, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for your family, or whether it's for a business, give Squarespace a try. You can try them out for two weeks, get a free trial, no credit card required, just either import your old, your information from your old blog or go ahead and start fresh. They've got beautiful templates that you can use to get you started. Uh, and you can go to squarespace.com And if you use the coupon code MPU1, that stands for MPU1, you'll save 10% off of your Squarespace order. Um, And if you sign up for a year more, they'll even throw in a free domain name on top of that. So uh, thanks to our good friends at Squarespace. Congratulations on your 10-year anniversary. And thanks for your kind support of MacPower users. Boy, that layout engine, the new layout engine, Katie, is really great. Have you used it much? You know, I, I saw it right before I saw their announcement. I was like, what is this? Something is new. What is going on here? And It's uh, really great. I've used like, it for like, a couple of posts, yeah. Like when I do those um, home screen posts at Max Sparky, I've got images interlaced with, you know, screenshots and all these things going on at once. And it's just so much easier now because you can insert anywhere in your, your file any type of media. It's it's very clever. Oh, and it's yeah. optimized for touch devices now, too. So if you go to the actual yeah. Squarespace website on your iOS device. Yeah. Anyway. Can we talk about Lego now? Let's talk about Legos. Lego. <laughs> Lego. Lego. Did I Lego. say Legos? Oh, I, man, said, I, I almost said again. Legos. <laughs> the, um, uh, so 
so Brooks, and th- this involves Max too, before everybody hangs up, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I personally, I have to, I do have to, to clarify. I personally am not uh, great at the Lego. Um, my brother and I played tons of it. We still have our old, my, my mom amazingly kept it, uh, our Lego from when we were kids. So we have big buckets of it. My brother was always more of the Lego genius than me, but my son that, uh, he's eight years old. He is really, really into Lego. And, uh, he found out about these things called Lego Mindstorms. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. I have played with them. They're fun. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, so we just picked up a set um, at Christmas time, uh, the EV3, which is the newest one. And I'm going crazy getting into this, this stuff. It's amazing. Uh, so what these are is, you know, it's it's kind of the more advanced Lego pieces. It's not the bricks generally that you think of when you think of Lego, but they have this um, this middle piece that is actually a, a computer, a little computer running Linux. And it's basically the, the brains of the minds of the, of the Lego Mindstorm. And you can build all these type of crazy robots and they come with sensors. So you can have it recognize colors. You can have it recognize motion. You can have it recognize touch. Um, and, you can actually program the so you can use it as a remote control and so my son likes to drive it around and there's a little ball shooter thing so his favorite thing is to either have it driving around and and uh hammer your foot or shoot balls at you um but you can also make pretty sophisticated programs uh on mac or windows or even on your ipad or iphone too and and, uh, you know, kind of having a programming background, I'm actually really amazed at the at the stuff that you can have these dev- these uh, devices do. They've got loops. They've got everything. It's really, really impressive. Yeah, the uh, Lego land is near where I live. So when the kids were the right age, we'd go down there and I would I would sometimes they had the mindstorm sessions. And I would sometimes stay like and do two of them because I was such a geek. My my kids never got into those mind storms, but boy, my, my my youngest daughter still plays Lego. I still like them. I have to admit. Yeah, we went to we went to Legoland a few years ago, uh, and then uh, we're actually planning on going. And my son was we didn't even really know what mind storms were. He was more interested in the room where you just race cars down the down the ramp. I have been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spent hours there, um, but uh, we're going back this year actually, and. Uh, and he's all excited about the the Mindstorms room. So, yeah, it's it's really impressive. The, the it's really cool showing him, you know, as, as such a young kid, because the programming with the EV three is all visual. It's 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 making functional programs, but in a in a they don't have to sit there and type out code yet. Although you probably can. Um, so he's building these programs. We're talking over what what these things what we want them to do. And we're building these programs and then, you know, we just plug it into the Mac, copy it over to the thing, and then he can watch it, at least try to do it, or at least do what he told it to, whether it's what he meant it to do is a different story, of course. I I was just talking a few days ago, we have a a listener, Adrian, who works very near me and he's a programmer. And we were talking about getting kids into programming. And I was thinking like, you know, this Sprite kit that now Mac OS 10 supports. So, so if you didn't know, 
the most recent version of Mac OS X has support for two-dimensional sprites, which is kind of like this platform jumping games that we all played, at least I played as a kid. And they've, they've now dropped that in. Maybe I'm getting this wrong. Is it in iOS or is it in Mac OS X? I don't remember which one. But uh, I think there's such an opportunity there for someone to make a like a video game construction kit. I just want to see kids get into you know, get into that entry level to do this stuff. And I think that will encourage them to want to make it better and then go start learning to actually program computers. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to, the way I learned was sitting there with my Apple two plus clone, uh, typing in basic programs from compute magazine and that sort of thing. Me too. Yeah. But 10 prints. Hello. 20 go to 10. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know that I was older than he is, and you know the tools that they have to do this now. Uh, and even back then, there wasn't really a path. Uh, there wasn't the the industry uh, that there is now, where they can actually take that and go with it. So yeah, it's uh, it'll be uh, amazing to see the kind of things that these kids are able to do. Yeah, you know, Brooks. It's the last point. I just kind of coming back to the Mac. Um, what are some of the the little apps you use that you don't hear much about that people would probably be interested in? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I use on the for email. Uh, I've never really gotten into Mail dot app. I don't. I don't know why. It's just never done it for me. Uh, so I I use AirMail on my Mac for that. Uh, now I should say I use I use Gmail, uh, so that uh, you know that you need to be using Gmail or I think uh, IMAP as well. I think it supports. Um, I really really like AirMail. It, it makes processing um, email very very fast. Um, uh, on iOS, I really really like an app called Dispatch for for email. Yeah, that's a that's a great app. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I re- and uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Vardy, I think you know him as well. Yeah, he's basically been telling me about this app for six months, and I've been saying oh, I don't want to buy it. I bought so many email apps, I don't want to buy another one. Uh, but I finally caved, and yeah, it's just fantastic the way that you can uh, quickly send email or quickly send tasks to OmniFocus, emails to Evernote. Um, I use Asana. Uh, I'm using it more and more, and it you know quickly sends things to Asana. Uh, so I'm really a big fan of of Dispatch. So Dispatch, uh, for those who don't know, is a is a really great application at processing your inbox, and it 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 uses URL callbacks and all these great little tricks to quickly process an email to other places like Evernote and OmniFocus and or even Safari. Yeah, and uh, I guess the last one I would say, um, and I uh, hopefully we're not getting back into accounting territory, but uh, I really like, and I don't remember ever hearing it talked about on here. But I could have missed it. Um, I really like an application called You Need a Budget or YNAB. Um, we had several people mention that. Tell me what that. Tell me a little more about what that does. So YNAB is a financial. You know, it's. I guess you could say it's kind of like Quicken, um, but what it 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 operates off the principle of zero based budgeting, if you know what that is. So basically, you know, all the money you have coming in, you the it works on four main principles, and and what it is is the, all the money you, that you have coming in has a job, has something that that money is meant to do, um, and 
what people used to do back in the day is, you know, they would get their their paycheck or whatever, they'd cash it, and then they would take the physical bills and put it into envelopes. So for depending on how, this much for groceries, this much for utilities, whatever. So another name for it is called en- envelope budgeting. I'm, I'm um, hearing a Dave Ramsey system come on here. Uh, I'm not too familiar with Dave Ramsey, but huh. um, but YNAB is a uh, kind of a program that that works with that, but in a really um, a really nice way, and yeah, it has a lot of popularity with, for whatever reason, with uh, uh, with uh, Mac Mac geeks. So it's it's a really good one if you're ever uh, looking at financial uh, financial software. Uh, you need a budget. Y N A B. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that one. Well, there's a lot of great software out there these days. That's uh, that's the trick is is figuring out what they are. So I appreciate your thoughts on that. No problem. Just don't get me started on Sonos. That's an, that's my big upset. <laughs> I, th- I think we're going to take a Sonos break. For <laughs> <the> <laughs> <Mac Powers>. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brooks, tell people, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, I know this has turned into a little bit of a paperless show, but but you're the paperless guy. And I, I think that's something I can't get enough of. And hopefully a lot of our listeners feel the same way. But tell people a little bit about uh, where they can find you um, and, and where they should go to, to find all things uh, all things paperless with you. Yeah, so my website's documentsnap.com, all one word. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my documentsnap address is just at documentsnap. Um, I also have a personal account at Brooks Duncan. Uh, if you want to see me whine about hockey and soccer and make fun of my kids, you can go there for it. And Brooks, thank you so much for everything you bring into the community. Uh, Document Snap is not just a place that I feel like people go to learn about paperless, even though you do that for people. You, you've really created a community there, and it, it's a really a special nerdy corner of the internet, and I would suggest everybody go check it out. Thanks, yeah. The, my readers are great, just like the Mac Power users' listeners. You bet. You bet. Katie, where do you find us? Well, you can find all things Mac Power Users over our website at MacPowerUsers.com, where we've got links to everything that we talked about this show notes. Special thanks to our good buddy JT for crafting those for us. Um, as well as you can search and find if you're curious, you know, hey, when did we talk about that Hazel thing last on Mac Power Users? Because, you know, that's a topic that never has come up before on this show. Uh, there's yeah. a search on MacPowerUsers.com where you can type in Hazel and see all the other shows where we've talked about it. Uh, you can also find us on 5 by 5 at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. And uh, that'll wrap up this episode. We will see you all next time. 